Welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 207. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we are discussing Voyager's third season episodes, Rise, Favorite Son, and Before and After. Here we go. Rise, season three, episode 19, production code 160. Original air date, February 26th, 1997. Directed by Robert Shearer, written by Brandon Braga, music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Alan Oppenheimer as Nezu Ambassador, Lisa Kaminer as Lilius, Kelly Connell as Sklar, Tom Towles as Dr. Vatim, Jeff Prasir as Hanjuan, and Gary Bullock as Goth. As Voyager makes a less than successful attempt to vaporize asteroids, that are assaulting the Nezu homeworld, a message comes from Dr. Vitman, an astrophysicist who has been analyzing the asteroid fragments on the surface below. Vitman wants to talk to the Nezu ambassador, who is currently aboard Voyager. Neelix, Tuvox, and the Nezu named Sklar head for the surface, but their shuttle crashes. They find Vitman, but have no way to contact Voyager. I saw what appeared to be an orbital tether anchored nearby. Yes, we use those to lift cargo from the surface to the orbital supply stations. May I assume it uses magnetic leverage to lift the carriage? Yes. What is your point? What if we use that carriage to climb the tether? I like this episode. This seems to be one where, because the execution maybe had some issues, I've read a lot over the years where a lot of people dislike this one. It's... um, it is generally not considered good. I mean, it's generally considered bad by, it seems like, a lot of Star Trek fans. But I think this is one where where the fun kind of idea of it, the uniqueness of the concept of some of the the plot mechanisms and stuff, um, something, something like this mag lift, you know, elevator <laughs> to space or whatever, where that overcomes some of the maybe clumsy plotting or something. Uh, that's part of it. And then another part of it is, I think the performance, you know, we get good stuff from Tuvok and Neelix and those performances and the little bit of writing between them. I don't know. I, I guess this is one of those episodes where I understand why so many people might not like it, but I like it and I've always remembered it. It's a very easy episode to remember, the one where they have the mag lift thing. So I think I'm going to have predominantly positive things to say about this episode because uh, it's better than the sum of its parts. Um, but uh, Adam, what are your first thoughts here? I remember liking this episode more than I do now watching it. This I, I, when it first came out, I was like, Oh yeah, I kind of remember. I like this episode. You know, it's a good story between Neelix and Tuvok. Um, but after watching it, I think I liked it less. And um, I think part of it, is because I kind of felt like the conflict between Neelix and Tuvok was forced. I thought Neelix was kind of annoying. I mean, you know, he's like, I, you know, I got to the, you know, towards the end of the episode, and he's like, you don't listen to me, you don't listen to me. But I'm thinking to myself, well, Tuvok did listen to you. You're on the maglift. <laughs> and yes, Tuvok is kind of, I don't know, it just kind of just felt for, I don't know, it just didn't feel, didn't feel the same way as it did maybe years ago when I watched it and enjoyed it more. I'm not saying I don't like this episode. It's fine. Um, it, there are good performances and it's a, it's a good episode with, you know, mixing these two together, but I don't know. I just kind of didn't, it didn't, I didn't, it, yeah, it wasn't as good as I remember. Let's put it that way. Steve. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like you said, it's, it is certainly a memorable episode. Um, 
and I do I do like the the tech. I like the uh, um, that that that's that's fun. The whole sci-fi concept of um, this going into space. I remember reading at the time how this was a a feasible way to transport items to and from space if done correctly and reading some articles on that. Um, and, you know, Tuvok and Neelix always work well together. I, you know, I've, I've expressed before how I'm not a big Neelix fan. I do think he's, he's annoying a lot in this episode. It's kind of like ever so often they've got to remind you that he's annoying or something, you know, it's like you get going on, there's development in the character and all that, but then something like this happens like, Oh yeah, he is annoying still. Okay. Well, (laughs) but, um, so I, I don't I don't know I think I don't have strong feelings either way in terms of there, there's positives and negatives I think the concept is fun I think um, you know Tubak and Neelix work well together I think um, some of the the writing is kind of stilted I, I felt like especially among the supporting cast or whatever it just felt like everyone was I mean I don't want to get harsh about it but it felt kind of yeah, it just felt it just felt stilted on that mag, you know, the mag lift thing. Besides Tuvok and Neelix, the other actors, everything felt like there was just line, line, line. I don't know. It was some, I don't know why that was, but it, it just felt peculiar. Um, the delivery or something. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I like where I like where they're going with it. I like to I like the conflict between the characters, um, and I almost feel like. With Tuvok and Neelix, these kind of episodes, I almost feel like I'm biased because I'm just more Tuvok than I am Neelix. <laughs> and so I, I don't feel like qualified. <laughs> I have an unbiased opinion about how it goes. You know, I always kind of side with the way Tuvok approaches things versus Neelix. But, you know, you can't deny the way they portray this, how Neelix is good with people. And I, I do like that aspect of it and that that facet of his character. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of it. I like the concept. I don't, but back to the original points, I, I, yeah, I do think there are some problems in execution on this episode. Murder on the Maglift Express. Right, right. <laughs> I like that. I mean, I'm generally with you as far as I side with Tuvok and <laughs> Neelix is yeah. um, occasionally annoying, but I like that sequence where um neelix he's having just like a personally kind of conversation about his sister or whatever and then tuvok chides him for this kind of idle chatter yeah and now on one hand like tuvok's tuvok tuvok is is totally right uh we're in kind of a life or death or death situation this is not the time for you to do that but the way he says it he's such a dick yeah, and it makes me yeah. yeah it makes you like wonder why neelix even <laughs> wants his approval why wouldn't why you know mm-hmm. and i think that's a good kind of setup it's you know it's ex- it's exaggerated compared to you know version it's an exaggerated version of of the strife that they've had uh but you need it you need to sum it up quickly and then that's kind of what the rest of these things are based on and i think it kind of i think it actually it actually kind of works and when neelix kind of puts his foot down and he has a really great speech, you know, when he's like, no, we're stopping this carriage and I need somebody to go up onto the roof. And his speech to, to Tuvok about, you've been dismissive to me of me for, for three years. You know, I think it works. And those are the, those are the scenes that, like I said, to me, those couple of moments between those and the cool tech sci-fi type stuff in this episode, that's what saves the episode for me. I totally agree that, the execution is wanting in this episode and that if it had been done better, 
this could have been, I think this could have really been a great episode instead of just solid, which is what it is. But I'm glad that, um, I'm glad we have this episode as we have it. I, I, I'm reminded of, um, Spock and McCoy and I, I you know it, it's 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 that kind of thing it harkens back to that when it's done really well it's that whole um id ego thing you know and um they do it well on those rare occasions in the original series when it was just Spock and McCoy and you had no Kirk to put between them you got this kind of thing and I am reminded of that with what they're doing I think the big difference though is and what makes Neelix seem more annoying and for us to not enjoy it as much or as often is there was always, I don't, I don't know, maybe playful is too strong a word, but there was always something maybe just a little bit playful about the McCoy-Spock relationship, something that yeah. wasn't quite as serious. Well, they respected each other. Yeah, they definitely respected each other. Yeah, and that's a huge difference because you don't feel like Tuvok respects uh, Neelix at all. But even when you think about like, um, Star Trek 2 uh, you must learn to govern your passions they will be your undoing I mean he's like really doctor you know I mean there's always just a little bit of I don't know playfulness to it mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. and that's not you know and that's lacking here like Tuvok is really you know he really is condescending he really is talking to Neelix like Neelix is three years old well yeah. I, th- I, th- I think Tuvok expresses um you know, like I said, I like Neelix. I'm not, I'm not as hard on him as maybe Steve is. I, I like the character, but there are times when he's he is really effing annoying, and um, I think Tuvok expresses that for the audience. I mean, you know, come on, Neelix calls him Mr. Vulcan. You know, he makes him drink, you know, his Vulcan, you know, recipes, you know, throughout the show. So he does really annoying things to Tuvok more than anybody else in the crew. So I can kind of understand where I'm siding with Tubok here, where it's just like, dude, you, you're driving me crazy. Get away. And he can, you know, he expresses that through, you know, kind of being a dick. Yeah, you do. You know, the, the counterpoint there is that you don't quite feel like Neelix respects the Vulcan repression of emotions. Right. You know, like it, this is just uh, a choice that he's making. And if he... If he liked me better, he would just smile or something. Yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess there's probably mutual disrespect from both of them. So, and I think that kind of comes out. Well, missing respect. Yeah, missing. Yeah. 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 Uh, is this episode about anything? Tuvok always gets the last word. <laughs> and that and that really reminds me of the original series too. With- yeah, that, I thought that too. See what I mean? Or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, a lot of it is like you know. Because, you know, I think of the crew as like family and, you know, it's learning to this episode is about something and it's hard for me to put it into words. It's like learning to work together and trust one another and respect one another. And those are kind of like broad themes. It was kind of hard for me to kind of pinch it all into one one thing. But I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a lot about coming together and getting to getting, you know, to respect, because by the end of the episode, even though the dynamic's kind of the same, you, you still kind of see Tuvok with that last conversation. He's, his volcanism is coming out, and Neelix is still kind of, you know, prodding and egg, egg him on. So the relationship hasn't changed, but maybe what's kind of changed is that they have a res- have a respect for one another um, that they maybe didn't have before the episode began. Yeah, I mean, I, 
I think that as as many kind of problems this episode might have, there the lesson is the lesson that at least they're trying to convey is the same as kind of like the Galileo Seven episode that were you know that reminds me so much of that's that's I mean it's it's a better episode you know in the original series, but that that idea of you you know there's you've got to um, understand those you are leading those you are working with and you know find that common ground find what makes people tick in order to get things done you know everyone's got strengths and weaknesses and uh you know co- you know coming together to make things happen everyone has something to contribute you know so you know again i don't think this is great maybe not even that good to me but um i think i think it does have that's that's the aim i think in some respects cool Let's do six degrees for rise. Adam, are you going first or second? Um, I'll go first. Alan Oppenheimer plays the Nezu ambassador that prefers to stick with the safety on Voyager than actually go down to the surface. In Next Gen, he played the Klingon Koroth. In the sixth season episode, Rightful Air, what Klingon makes an unlikely appearance in this episode? It's an unlikely appearance. I believe Koroth is like a is he like a monastery guy or you know something like Oh Kalis, Kalis. There you go. Steve, mm-hmm. I've asked this question before, but I'm gonna ask it again and I'm gonna ask it anytime Alan Oppenheimer comes up. <laughs> Oppenheimer is best known for providing the voice of what character in He Man and the Masters of the Universe? Oh goodness. Um <laughs> oh well I'm, I believe you've asked this I'm not recalling you asking yes this. I definitely have asked this yeah um, Skeletor yes sir <laughs> for no bonus points what was the other character he voiced on oh fun okay um, another main primary character but not a villain Man at Arms yes sir alright very good but you don't get an extra point for that alright alright <laughs> It's just one-to-one. <laughs> one-to-one, moving on. Favorite Son, Season 3, Episode 20, Production Code 162. Original air date, March 19th, 1997. Directed by Marvin B. Rush. Written by Lisa Klink. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Christopher Carroll as Albin, Carrie Shane as Elian, Deborah May as Lyris, Patrick Fabian as Taman, Kelly Kirkland as Rena, Christana Loken as Malia, Irene Sue as Mary Kim, and Kenny Yi as young Harry Kim. When Voyager encounters a seemingly friendly alien ship its crew has never seen before, Ensign Kim instinctively fires Voyager's weapons upon it without orders. Harry claims that the surge being admitted by the ship was the alien preparing to attack them. Voyager sustains heavy damage while battling the enemy, but manages to make a withdrawal. Kim is relieved of duty pending an investigation of his overtly hostile actions. Our doctor has found some genetic fragments in my DNA, which could be part of an alien genetic structure. Yes, those are your Teresian genes. They're becoming active. We'd be happy to provide your doctor with some DNA samples for comparison. What I want to know is how I could have gotten them. 
Steve, kick us off on Favorite Son, which I'm sure you're going to say is favorite episode. <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, this one kind of sucks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not much words, are you? Right. You know, I, I think it's that it's just, it, it's kind of silly. And, it, and it's one of these that you know it's silly because you you nitpick. You, you start thinking things like, this is completely implausible that a species of humanoids would evolve in, with this type of thing. You know, and if you're pondering that kind of line, you know, there must be something wrong here. Um, I mean, it, it is memorable. I certainly remember the one where Harry thought he was an alien and and was being seduced by multiple women on this planet and et cetera, et cetera, and all this stuff going on. But it's, I guess there is a little bit of a creepy element to it. I mean, you know, uh, when he realizes there's, although I, I can't, I can't, and neither do I, can I, nor do I want to visualize how this happens where someone would become like that poor guy in his skin and bones or whatever it was when they, when Kim found him. But um, mostly I just think of this as, as it's kind of silly and it's, it's tiresome to just plod through these things. Um and I don't can't possibly know what they're trying trying to do here that's constructive or interesting. So anyway, that that's that's my take here. Adam, also your favorite episode? <laughs> yes, also my favorite episode. Oh uh, yeah, I kinda agree with Steve. I don't know if I could go as far as to say it downright sucked, but no, it was it was not a very good episode. I I didn't have a problem with the concept. I kind of found that interesting. Okay, you know, a species uses a virus to mutate um, other species to, to mate with, but the storyline was just so cliche, you know, obviously, you know, at the, at the end of the episode, it's about, you know, sirens. And so it's very cliche, you know, beautiful women doting. And then, you know, they, they, you know, they suck your blood to, to reproduce. So I kind of felt like um, they had a kind of an interesting scientific concept by how this race reproduces, but they just kind of, it was just, it's very one dimensional, you know, this you don't the species is very one dimensional they're not i mean it's like how how does all this go down i mean it's uh, i think they could have had a, a much better episode with this concept if they decided to make um the species far more complicated and interesting as opposed to just you know we're, we're gonna you know suck you dry after we you know flirt with you for two or three days yeah i think this episode's kind of crappy yeah they probably shouldn't call it favorite something. <laughs> Cra- you know, crappiest son. They could have called it crappiest son. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree that it's pro- there's like a cool idea here. I actually think the first, I don't know, five minutes or maybe even ten, probably not, are actually kind of good. But the second they actually get there and it's just a bunch of women and it's just a... Once, once Kim's alone on the planet, it just goes straight downhill. Yeah, it's just stupid, pointless, sexy time, and yeah. you know, Voyager. The, I mean, it's just it sucks after that. But I think it's a cool, there's a cool idea. If they'd gone somewhere pretty different with it, mm-hmm. you know, like really trying to convince him that he's a. I mean, he very quickly, uh, you know, very quickly we know. Okay, he's not really an alien. Yeah, I, I read that there was like an early, early concepts of this. They they considered maybe he'd really stay an alien the rest of the series. He'd have the spots the rest of the time of Voyager. I mean, that would have been pretty ballsy. I'm not saying yeah. it's automatically good just because it's ballsy, but I don't know. Uh, but it really seems like they neutered this thing down to the point of, I don't know, being being pretty 
forgettable in Lamo. Yeah, no, the uh, the other species that could detect the DNA on other ships, and they were, you know, we're going to kill them. I'm like, I didn't quite get the the hostility towards them. I guess I right that that doesn't make a great deal of sense either. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. We don't have a lot to say about this one. There really isn't much to it. Once he gets there, once he's on the planet, I mean, there's no, there's not a lot there. There's nothing. There's nothing. Like he I said, like the, like, like the the women there are very cliche, and I'm like, I don't even know if you could do an episode like this where you know you have this species that's so one dimensional. If that, you know, they they draw these lines with uh, the story of Odysseus and all that, but the, yeah, there's very little in common. That would be a much more interesting story. Yeah, to convey that you know. I don't know, all the males are all of some group or whatever on the ship are just trying to do this one thing and then others are fighting them to do it or they have to figure out a strategy or, you know, that's that's different. But instead you have Kim and it's it's just him and there there's, I mean, he's he's fighting it. Cool. Um, but yeah, it, it feels, it, it just feels silly. It feels like you're, someone's trying to, you know, I, I don't know. It, I, I think the episode would have been better if he actually was it. They actually did do this. They did actually send their mails out to, you know, vast parts of the galaxy. You know, <laughs> right. their, their lie was far more interesting than what actually transpired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, telling, telling the story of why Kim, hey, I'm an alien, but, you know, I'm going to fight this programming and I want to stay with my people. Yeah, that on the surface seems to be more interesting story, but yeah. Yeah. Like she has that line to Kim, like your parents were right. You've been special all of your life. Totally. It's a lie crap, but that's a cool story where, Mm -hmm. you know, we all want to be something more and. Yeah. And it would have given his character a lot more depth. I mean, yeah, if they decided to go that way, it would have been a much better episode, you know, instead of being succubus. Is this episode about anything? Know where your home is. I don't know. Know who you are. <laughs> you know, be true to yourself. I mean, that might be a stretch. It's just a, you know, it's a kind of an, a, in a weird way, it's kind of an identity crisis for Kim throughout the whole episode. But at the, in the end, he comes, he, he finds his way home. I don't know. That's, that's probably a stretch. What do you think, Steve? Yeah. I mean, I think that's, they're, they're trying to do this thing where, you know, um, uh, knowing, knowing your loyalties, knowing what, you know, being true to yourself and, you know, I don't know, but it's just not, it's just, the execution is such where it's just not done in a way that, that it's convincing. I mean, it's, it's just too many different things in the air and they don't focus on something. So. Which is worse, this episode or Darkling from last time? Hmm. I think I would pick Darkling as worse. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, perhaps. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to talk about one I think we're is kind of decent here. So let's get to that one. But first, six degrees for favorite sun. Our score is one to one. Adam went first last time. So Steve. Yep. Christopher Carroll. I think this is a hard question. Actually, goody. It's going to be a tough one. All right. Christopher Carroll plays Captain Alban the captain that definitely wants to destroy any ship with a Teresian on it. He also played Gold Benil in the DS9 episode Second Skin, in which Kira is kidnapped and told she is really a Cardassian. They even give her a little surgery to make her look Cardassian. What did they say her Cardassian name was? Oh my goodness. I'll take first or last. And her last name, of course, is the same last name as the family that she was with who was talking to her whole time. But I'll take either one. 
but they they definitely say the name more than once. That's that's what right, kind of right. Right. Yeah. Um, gosh, this is one of these. I'll, I'll when you, when I hear it, I'll, it'll be familiar, but I'm not sure. Um, golly. I I don't think I can come up with it. I, I'm sorry, Adam. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. It's it's literally in the back of my throat, not on the tip of my tongue. So I'm, I would just be making something up at this point. So. Ileana Gamore. Hmm. Gamore. Gamore. Yeah. Ileana. You could have said it's the same character's name in Avengers or Gamora. Yeah. Not, not a, <laughs> or Guardians of the Galaxy. All right, Adam. Uh, and this, this question, I could have asked another true six degrees, but I just thought this was a fun question. Um, Kristana Loken plays Malia, the new bride that really sucks the life out of her new husband. Name the film in which she played the Terminator. She she became like a, her big breakout role a few years after this. Oh, is that the one with Clara Danes? Would that be uh, three Terminator three? Yes, but what's the like the full name? Do you remember? I should give it to you regardless. Um, Terminator Three. Uh, I don't quite recall the title. I'm going to yeah, give you no, the point, but yeah, I know it's that. No, it was the one with Cara Danes. Yes, that's true, and it is Terminator Three. I'm going to give you the point, but Steve, do you know the rest of the title? God, um, is it which one's the Rise of the Machines? Is that yep, Rise of the Machines? Okay. That's right. Maybe we should both All get right. a point. <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay, we can, let's, let's split the point. You, we'll split you both it. get a point. You're both at two. How's that? That's interesting. Uh, I'd rather we're, we're both at two than we're both at one and a half. We are <laughs> numbers here. All right. Bo- both at two. All right. Moving on. Before and After, Season 3, Episode 21, Production Code 163. Original air date, April 9th, 1997. Directed by Alan Croker, written by Kenneth Biller, music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Jessica Collins as Linus Paris, Christopher Aguilar as Andrew Kim, Michael McGuire as Benaren, Jana Michaels as Young Kess, and Rachel Harris as Martis. Kess finds herself living short periods of time in reverse order. She first gains consciousness in sickbay as an elderly woman surrounded by her Ocampan family born on Voyager. The doctor is able to put her into a biotemporal chamber to try to extend her normally short-span life. Her next period of consciousness occurs some days before when the doctor has affirmed that Kess is suffering from mental deterioration due to her old age and his plans to use the biotemporal chamber. I know this is going to sound strange to you both, but I don't belong here. Yet, but we discussed this. You don't understand. I'm traveling backwards in time, getting younger. We have to lower my chronotone levels. You've got to get me into the biotemporal chamber right away. My first note on this one is, holy effing crap. So Tom married Kess and had a kid, and Kim had a kid with that kid. (laughs) It's just weird, right? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, wait, what? What? Yeah, <laughs> well, there's a little, uh, yeah, I like it more than having you as a, what is it, a son in law? <laughs> that line in there. It just, I don't know, it feels, uh, it feels almost like it's not incestuous, but it feels like that, doesn't it? It just feels like bit. this is not how this should be. <laughs> I don't know. 
This is weird. Okay. Mm. Uh, who wants to go first? Um, I like this episode. I think it was my favorite of the of the day. Um, just first, I like the concept of like seeing what might happen to these people. You know, the doctor with his hair. You know, Janeway is 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 dead and gone. So I kind of like that concept of kind of seeing like what may happen. And you know, obviously, that it goes backwards and reverse, and we kind of get little snippets here and there. Also, um, it was really creative to. Um, allude to a future episode that we're going to, going to see down the line the year, the year of hell which are if i remember correctly are a really good episode so that's kind of fun to think about um obviously if you watch this episode for the first time you don't know that but i mean that's kind of a cool concept i'm not sure if they planned it that way or they just decided to do that episode down the line you can tell me that brian you probably know more than me um yeah, and I like yeah, it's just yeah, the, the Kim thing's a little bit weird. I couldn't remember exactly when I was watching this episode who the the father was. I was like, is it Chicote? And then this Kim's like, oh yeah, this is kind of it is kind of weird. And then you, you kind of have that weird line from Tom Paris where he's like, yeah, I'd like I'd like it better than having you as a son-in-law. So it kind of breaks it a little bit. But I kind of felt the same way as you did, Brian, about about that arrangement. Yeah, I think they had planned to do this as to do Year of Hell as the season three cliffhanger. But then the whole seven of nine scorpion thing happened, and that changed their plans. So they they were thinking of it. Steve, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I I like this. I don't think it's a fantastic episode, but I I think I think it's definitely the best of the best of the three today. Um, I think it's an interesting concept. I think. Um, the uh you know like like adam was saying the seeing the hypotheticals of what can happen in these possible timelines with all these characters that's fun there's kind of the mystery element solving a problem and it's all from one character's perspective because she's the only one that can relay that i mean it's almost in in a way it's almost inspired by kind of um all good things it feels a little bit like you know in next gen because of that whole jumping through time and you know you're riding along with one character in these these potential timelines and that kind of thing i also felt a little bit like i you know i, I think uh christopher nolan's film memento came after this film i mean i was thinking of the whole reverse time idea you know that idea of you know taking a thing and going backwards in time and this kind of thing you know if you didn't have any um obviously a different concept in a way but you know maybe related um so yeah i think i think it's fun and i think it's it's um it's one of these that because it in a way it doesn't happen only one character keeps these memories in this case kes um you know it, it, i don't know how much impact it has but it's certainly good development for that character and um yeah i think i think these kind of epic you know treks through time sort of are, are a fun little thing to visit now and then in the series so I had one little nitpicky thing. It's not a big deal, but I mean, you know, in the last episode, Kes had her short, regular hair, and, and this episode, she's got long hair. I mean, I guess she's O'Compin, so she probably grows his hair really quickly. But it just kind of threw me off a little bit. It's just kind of a continuity thing from one episode to the next. What were the production numbers on these, Steve? Maybe this was maybe they were aired um, out of order. Well, I'm looking at the three here, and they're chronologically in order. Um, there's one that was done between these, but it's 160, 62, and 63 out of these three. So, was the I remember at the time I vaguely remember the first time I saw this, the first time it aired, thinking how wild it was 
the you know going all the way to the womb and then kind of jumping back it didn't feel so wild to me this time maybe because i knew it was coming i don't know but it did did it seem i guess my question is did it seem like they were going way farther than you know this era star trek would usually go mm, i don't know or did that just seem like any other part of the episode do you remember it standing out ever i don't guess so um it seems like it could have gone faster in a way because definitely if, if, if indeed this treatment was taking effect in the present time, it seems like they spent a long time in these kind of, you know, oh, she's, you know, going back to even younger, 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 and it takes a long time to do it. Um, but I, that's about it. Yeah. I kind of feel the same way. I hadn't, yeah, I don't have a strong feeling one way or the other. I once thinking as I was watching this, um, I think Jennifer lean is a pretty good actress and, I'm sure we'll talk about this a lot more when she leaves the show, but she got a raw deal because she's good. And when they give her stuff to do, like they do in this episode, that's good. She, she does great. And it's a bit of a tragedy kind of, yeah. Yeah. Especially when you hear about, you know, what happened to Jennifer lean in real life, you know? Yeah. 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 Boy, I wish they would freaking (laughs) redo this in HD. I feel like there's a whole generation of people that are never, never going to give this show a chance no. because it looks like poop. Uh, it looks like a butt. And, <laughs> um, you know, an episode like this, can you imagine this episode looking like the what they did for Next Gen? I know. This, it would be, I think, I think we would actually think it's a better episode. Right. <laughs> you know, which isn't fair, but... Mm-hmm. Do you guys, did you guys buy Tom and Kess? At first I was like, I don't buy this. I don't buy this. But then when they specifically have like a story thing about how Torres was killed during the year of hell and then Kess mm-hmm. was there for him, I could kind of see it a little more, yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's a natural thing. I mean, you know, they kind of had that attraction, you know, earlier on. It does make, make uh, Tom Paris seem like, <laughs> I don't know, like everybody on the, on the ship is... For Tom, I don't know. It's kind of. <laughs> uh, is this episode about anything? It is, but I have a hard time pinpointing it. Um, do you want to go first, Steve? You can go first this time. I uh, oh. uh, well, I mean, it it is one of these kind of plot-driven things, you know, and, and so it makes it, you know. I, like I said, I don't think it's fantastic, but I think it's it's good. And I, I think maybe, if anything, it's the whole relying on one's wits and their, you know, their connections and their friends to put things together and solve a problem and stick with it, you know. I mean, I think, yeah, Jennifer Lean is Kess. I mean, she's a very determined, you know, character that just, you know, you think, oh, she's going to... she puts her mind to something she's going to do it you know and this is like her episode to i'm going to solve this problem and this is a crazy situation and to stick with it and use the resources i have and connect with my friends and make this happen you know and um you know that, that that's somewhat inspiring i suppose and i don't really have anything otherwise any kind of uh broad moral message though it might be about stick with tom <laughs> I mean, I guess kind of like the way it's about, it's kind of about family, you know, and the ship of familyness, you know, and 
like Steve said, you know, coming together, you know, we get to see these possible um, outcomes for the crew and we see that they've not only grown closer, but they've, you know, they've started families and they've started, you know, these are these concepts that we, you know, that Janeway and Jakote talked about in the first season. What if they have kids, that kind of thing. And we kind of get to see this play out <clears throat> in a way in this episode and, um, you know, with Tom and Kess's daughter and, you know, the grandson, just how, what kind of incredible people they are because their parents and the people and the crew around them are. And it's just about, to me, kind of like a, a family unit who, who sticks together and stays together and fights together. The family that has a kid with their kid together <laughs> stays together. It's too bad they didn't have a flashback at the first date, you know, when, when Kim comes to the door and Paris has to grill him, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Six degrees for before and after. Our score is two to two. Adam, you brought it up during the conversation, so I'm going to give you this one. This episode refers to uh, the couple of guest stars in this episode never played anything else in Star Trek, so not traditional Six Degrees, sorry. Uh, this episode refers to future two-parter year of hell. What season will that air in? Season four? Yes. Steve, tied up for the day. Jennifer Lean is no longer on the show for Year of Hell. Instead of Kess, who uses a tricorder to investigate the Chronoton torpedo? Probably seven of nine. Yes, sir. Three to three, tied it up. So we were talking about before the show started, uh, Adam bought Discovery just came out on home video. Adam bought it on iTunes. I bought it on Blu-ray. We're planning to rewatch it before season two in January. Uh, Steve, no spoilers, but I assume you've now watched the second of the shorts. Yes, I have. Did, did you enjoy it? Yeah, I thought it was very interesting. A very bold maneuver there. Um, unusual. But I, I did like it. More than the first one. Yeah, because I, I I didn't dislike the first one, but it felt a little more, you know, just vanilla, same old, same old to me. Is it getting you pumped for season two? I'm certainly I'm certainly excited to, for season two. Um I don't know that the shorts really um so far have lent themselves to me being excited for it, but except just that I know it's it reminds me that it's coming soon, you know, but yeah. So there were some rumors that uh, Michelle Yeoh may be mm-hmm. doing a Giorgio spinoff, Section 31 spinoff thing. Uh, I don't know. I wasn't. That didn't really. Didn't float your boat. Yeah. I mean, it does start to get, it starts to feel like, is there enough to say here with this? And yeah, that's, I don't know. I don't, I just don't want to. Yeah, I fight. guess that's it. Yeah. I don't want to discuss the possibilities there too much in case somebody hasn't watched discovery yet. Mm. That might, we might go into some spoiler territories, but I'm, I'm probably more interested in that animated thing than a possible Giorgio. Right. <laughs> I mean, of course I'm more, in, I'm excited about Picard, but yeah. What's that coming out? What's the Picard one coming out? I, I'll be surprised if we even see anything a year from now, maybe that's the soonest, maybe. If they shoot in the spring, then maybe we'd see it in the fall. But I, I don't know. I'm kind of, ex- I'm, I'm thinking, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if it was 2020. I don't know. Yeah. The guy's not getting any younger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the, it's the crazy post schedule on these things. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We're going to get, well, I guess, can we give out a sh- shout out to Stan Lee? 
But mm. Yeah. There was a lot of great stories. Yeah, I think some somebody had a picture of Patrick Stewart and Stanley. Um, they were um the one time I did um Stewart and Stanley were at a Chicago convention together. It was when the whole generate next generation cast was together. It's been about four or five years at least. Hmm. But yeah, Stanley was there as well. Yeah, I saw him at many conventions over the years. I remember the first couple of Comic Cons I went to psh, a long time ago. I would I would go sit in panels that he was in just so I could hear his voice because I grew up hearing him <laughs> on cartoons and stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And just to hear him, the guy could talk about his laundry, but you know, and it would be just as exciting because that was that was how, that was like his real voice. That's what he just said when he was talking. <laughs> and then of course, you know, these last few years being fortunate enough to get to go to those the Marvel premieres, I would always see him there. And the last one I saw him at was Infinity War. Oh wow. Um, it was the first time I saw him in a wheelchair. Before that, I mean I know he was in his nineties and I'm, you know, and I always saw him walking in. It was always like, God, what's this guy? 50, you know, then <laughs> uh, this infinity war. That was the, that was the first time. So that was that premiere, I think was April of 2018. Uh, yeah. That was, this that was the first time I, yeah. This last last time. That, that was the first time I saw him uh, in a wheelchair, but he was still, I mean, he was operating it himself. It's not like somebody was pushing him. Was it a Professor X wheelchair? No, that would have been sweet, though. <laughs> it's funny because my brain was like, oh, it's Stan Lee. It's Stan Lee. And then all of a sudden, I mean, I, I was like, it's Stan Lee. And then my brain said, hey, dummy, take a picture. <laughs> you know, I pulled out my phone and snapped a picture of him. Like, anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was cool. It was pretty cool, man. That, yeah, I'll be missed. I mean, the man had a, you know incredible run. Guy that really... I mean, you can legitimately say you changed the world, right? Changed the world of movies. Yeah. At this point, yeah. I hope that they. I'm sure they shot him. I'm sure they shot him for a, at least a couple more, if not more. Well, he'll be sure. Yeah, they have the, the stuff for Captain Marvel and Avengers, but I don't know about after after that. I wouldn't be surprised if there was more after that, just because when they would shoot it, they would shoot like several at a time with him. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So right. we'll see. We'll see. Uh, so some housekeeping stuff, folks. We are going to be back in two weeks to discuss the next three episodes of Voyager. But then two weeks after that, we'll be in the middle of December. And I think we're going to have our holiday episode then. That would be so. Yeah. So. So we're going to post like normal on November 29th. And then the episode that posts on the 13th of December, that'll be our holiday episode. And we don't really have a movie like usual this year to discuss. So I'm not entirely sure what we're going to talk about yet, but we're going to figure that out before the 13th. But I assure you, it will not be the last two episodes of Voyager's third season. Those we will discuss when we return from the holidays on the 3rd of January. So if listeners, do you have anything you'd like to hear us talk about on the 13th on our holiday episode, you can send us an email. TrekCompanion at gmail.com. Our Twitter handle is at TrekCompanion. Our Facebook listener page is facebook.com slash TrekCompanion. I'm very grateful that you have spent an hour with us today. And we hope to have you back in two weeks. So until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. See ya.
done, I passed it.